Hi everyone. Welcome back to Crime Cults and Coffee. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Bryn. And we're recording on Thanksgiving. <laughs> we are so dedicated <laughs> and grateful for you guys. By the time yeah. you hear this though, it will not be Thanksgiving. No, it'll be far from. <laughs> but um, I think it's kind of funny that we're recording on Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. It's Thanksgiving morning. What are you thankful for? Hmm. Well, that's a loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Um, of course, I'm thankful for my family and my friends. Yes. And my animals. Yes. Um, Being healthy this season, yeah, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> my voice not sounding like shit anymore. Oh yeah. I'm thankful for this podcast. Yes. And our mourners. And our mourners. <laughs> I love that. What about you? All the above. Um. I don't know, just our, I'm really thankful to have our own place this year, and we got to decorate, and, yeah. Aw. Yeah. The, the typical stuff you should be thankful for, Right, my dad said to me this morning, he's like, I think with all this COVID stuff going on, when people are actually able to now get together, it means something again. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's so true. It, It does. I was actually just saying this morning, I don't know if... Aunt Sandy listens. Shout out Aunt Sandy if you're listening. But she called me this morning and I was saying to her how I really do miss, though, having Thanksgiving with, like, all the cousins and and aunts and uncles and stuff. That's what my dad's doing. He has 22 people coming today. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Eventually one day, hopefully. Hopefully Christmas, I'm hoping. Yeah. Yeah. As we sit with a heated blanket. We're literally (laughs) snuggled. We're this heated blanket. We're snuggled (laughs) under a Christmas heated blanket, and it's fucking amazing. Uh, Best invention ever. Yes. I love it so much. So, should we get right into the coffee? Yeah. Okay. So, this coffee was actually a Christmas present. No, it wasn't. A Christmas present. Oh, my God. I am so tired already. (laughs) It was a birthday present. From Bryn <laughs> to me, and um, it's Snickerdoodle. Yeah, Snickerdoodle coffee. We're assuming it's a medium roast because it doesn't really specify yeah, on their bag. Yeah, it doesn't say on the bag. The brand is Grace and Gratitude Coffee and Provisions. Mm. We don't have any information on a website or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, it looks like they did have a Facebook at some point, but they do not any longer. Yeah, so, so I would check out if you want to get coffee from them i'm assuming they carry it in stores like i think i either got it at tj maxx or marshall yeah they usually have like a little food section yeah yeah it was probably there yeah it's i mean the bag is adorable we'll post a picture of it it smells really good i wouldn't say it's snickerdoodle though (laughs) do you taste it no i got excited when i bought it for you because yeah not cut like not brewed it smells it like Snickerdoodle. really good. Yeah. Maybe it was just that it was, like, on the shelf for a while or something. I don't know. I don't think so. No. Well, oh, then again, I, I did just give you your birthday gift, and I got it back in October. <laughs> so it <laughs> hasn't, like, affected coffee for us in the past. I don't know. Yeah. It's just... I, I'm drinking it cold it now. It doesn't taste the way it smelled before we brewed it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I drank it hot, and now I have it cold, and I think the flavor actually stayed pretty much the same for me. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of it? What does it taste like to you? I was expecting, like, cinnamon, because, you know, snickerdoodle. I don't know. I was expecting, like, a sugar cookie-ish taste mm-hmm. with cinnamon, but I don't I don't really taste that at all. Um, let me take a sip and see what I taste. Yeah, I was expecting the same thing. Definitely more cinnamon sugary, and it's not. No. I don't really taste much. I mean, I taste, like, the... Like almost like the artificial flavoring. Yeah. But I don't taste like a like a specific like flavor. You know what I mean? It almost yeah. just tastes like vanilla or something. Yeah. You know. And it does say naturally and artificially flavored coffee. So who the fuck knows? So what we're I actually drinking. Right. Um. I don't hate it. Yeah, I don't. But either. I don't love it. I probably give this one a five. Same. Really? <laughs> yeah. Were you thinking the same thing? I was thinking five, five, five in my head. <laughs> I swear we should, like, rate them down so people don't think we're we fucking should. lying. We should. And then just take part of our story pictures. Now will be us holding up what we wrote down. Our actual numbers, right? And then people will probably still be like, you wrote like, it You after. fucking liars. <laughs> you compared. We don't. We don't. It's no. actually really fun to see. And I was going to say, I, I'm going to put it right in the middle because yeah. I don't hate it, but I don't love it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh my god, last week's was it last week's? Whatever week we did the gold bug coffee, I'm still dreaming oh, about it. Oh my god. That was so fucking good. We're gonna make a pot of that today, actually. Yes. We'll have mom put it on for Thanksgiving because yeah. holy shit, that was like one of my favorite coffees. Shout out Edgar Allen Joe. <laughs> <laughs> they were it was so good. Amazing. And mom any? added some cinnamon to it and it like made it that much better. It accentuated yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anything else we wanna talk about before we get into it? trying to think i'm trying to think not much is going on in my life except for work i'm grateful for you i'm grateful for you too (laughs) thanks (laughs) um i don't think there's anything else i know i've just been working if we if we think of something we'll add it in at the end oh i went to oh i told you about that last week (laughs) so i I went to wicked yeah it was beautiful i loved it yeah yeah let's just get started okay so So grab grab your coffee coffee and have a morning with us Okay, guys, so today we are talking about the case of Lauren Spearer. This case was actually recommended by Amanda. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you. We love when you guys send stuff in, so keep doing it. Um, so a little background on Lauren. She was born in Jan- on January 17th of 1991. Her mom was Charlene and her dad was Robert Spearer. And her sister was Rebecca. She's 4'11 with blonde hair and blue eyes and 20 years old at the time of this case. She was born and raised in Scarsdale, New York, described as a fun-loving and bubbly person. She talked to her mom on the phone almost daily, which Aww. who doesn't do that? Yeah. <laughs> Literally, I used to, I miss it so much. I used to call my mom in the car every time I got in the car, and I'm like, I don't have that now. Aww. So I call Jamie. <laughs> She's like, now she gets that. Um, in 2009, she graduated from Edgemont High School in Greenville, New York, And she went to Indiana University, or also known as IU, which we'll refer to that later. Yeah. She enrolled in 2009 at IU, and she was studying textiles and merchandising. She was a sophomore at the time of this event, and she was involved in the Jewish community at IU. She planted trees in Israel for Jewish National Fund and the spring break before her disappearance. Oh, that's so sweet. That is so cool to me. Yeah. I love that. I, I heard Israel's beautiful. I want to go. I've heard the same. Yeah. She also attended summer camp called Camp Tawanda in Honesdale, PA, sometime before college, which is where she met her boyfriend, Jesse Wolf, her friend, Jay Rosenbaum, and her other close friends there. They were later a part of her friend group that she had at IU. So she kind of, like, met them over the summer, and that was who she went into, like, college with. Yeah, that's crazy that a lot of her close friends that she had at college, like, happened to attend the same camp, and then they all went to the same college. So it's weird. My one friend from college and Carson's one really close friend, Eric, shout out Eric. Shout out Eric! He um, is a camp counselor at Camp Tawanda. So when I read this, that I was like, crazy. what the fuck? I have to text him. Um, and he said it was like that, though. Like, people would just meet there and then, like, break off into, like, groups and, like, be friends at that point after. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, I said it was, like, very close-knit. And, like, the people that go, like, they come back every year and... Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like the ranch that I grew up going yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. You can start out as, like, a camper, and then I guess when you get to a certain age, you become, like, a counselor. Uh-huh. So, I don't know. It looks cool. And you said he hadn't heard... He, he did he not. Didn't not. He did not know Lauren. No, yeah. he did not know Lauren. He said a friend of his did, um, but no, he did not personally know her. Wow. That's yeah. crazy, though, that just he was... He's, like, closely tied to this I know. When I that read she... that, I was like, holy fuck, that's so weird. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so moving into the timeline of her disappearance, um, June 3rd, 2011, this was in Bloomington, Indiana. Note, before I get into this, some of this timeline was later pieced together by Bloomington police using video surveillance footage, and other parts of the timeline are through witness statements. So, obviously, the surveillance footage stuff is fact. Yeah. And then the witness statements can or may not be fact. Right. Just throwing that out there. So Lauren was out drinking this night with friends. Remember, this is June 3rd, 2011. Wolf, her boyfriend, said that he was not out with her, but was in communication throughout the night with texting until he went to bed. Allegedly, drug use may have occurred as well, and they didn't really specify what, like, this literally could have been weed. Right. You know? Yeah. 
Um, the night began at her apartment watching the 2011 NBA playoffs and drinking wine with friends. 12.30 a.m., Lauren Spear left her apartment with a friend named David Roan. They went to Jay Rosenbaum's apartment. Remember, Kelsey mentioned him earlier. That was one of the people she met at the camp. Mm -hmm. And met up with Corey Rossman, Rosenbaum's neighbor, and Rossman's roommate, Michael Beth. So we're going to be mentioning those names multiple times. Yep. Around 1.46 a.m., she was seen entering Kilroy's sports bar on surveillance footage. 2.27 a.m., Lauren is seen leaving the bar with Rossman on cameras. Lauren left her cell phone and shoes at the bar. That's interesting. Yeah. I wonder if this was because she was really drunk and just like wandered out without without it yeah. or if I mean it was she in was the middle planning of the summer. on going back right you know yeah she actually took off her shoes when she went out on the sand covered patio oh at the that bar, makes sense but like the fact that she like left the shoes on the cell phone there yeah I don't know yeah I don't know it's kind of up in the air Rossman walked with Lauren to her apartment complex from here so she wasn't walking by herself Around 2.30 a.m., Lauren entered Smallwood Plaza Apartments, which is where she lived. This apartment complex is now called the Avenue on College, and her apartment was on the fifth floor. Passerby Zach Oaks noticed that she was very intoxicated and asked if she was okay. So I'm assuming that's why she forgot her Yeah, she was intoxicated, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've left shit at the bar all the time yeah. when I'm drunk. yeah. Um, other witnesses also reported that Lauren was visibly intoxicated, and apparently there was an altercation in the hallway of the fifth floor, which, remember, again, that's the hallway that she lived in. Right. They ran into four male students, and Rossman was hit in the head by one of the men after making a remark, Hmm. which they didn't really specify what the remark was. Yeah, right. I mean, it could have just been, like, fuck you, dude, or something like, like, anything. Yeah. And, like, it's because they were drunk and started a fight. Yeah. And Rossman said he couldn't remember anything after being hit in the head. I think that part's interesting. Yeah. Like, can, I don't know, I feel like that's very conveniently placed in there. Yeah. I thought the same thing, and whether it was true or not, and I'm, I'm not implicating him in anything but whether it was true or not yeah either convenient conveniently not remembering anything or if he actually didn't remember anything Mm -hmm. both are a little suspicious because even if you really don't remember anything then that means anything could have happened right right or like your state of mind could have been altered for the rest of the night I don't know. We all know what happens with head injuries. And Just certain people. Oh my god. Just keep that in mind because I think that's important. Yeah. So around 2.48 a.m., Lauren left the apartment complex and entered an alley which runs between College Avenue and Morton Street. 2.51 a.m., security cameras on nearby apartments showed her exit the alley and walk toward an empty lot. I think it's mm. so crazy that... I was talking to Eric about this. Like, it was like security cameras. I don't know. Like, she was walking in areas, not that, like, they were placed in, but, like, it seems like she was just kind of, like, wandering around, walking around, and, like, they were able to catch her every motion on security cameras. Yeah. Up to a certain point. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought that was a little weird, too. Because usually you're like, oh, man, I wish there was footage here, but right. there was Right, and wasn't. there was. Yeah. So, at some point, Rossman tossed Lauren over his shoulder to carry her, and Lauren Spears' keys and purse were later found along this route in the alley. So, most likely when he threw her over her shoulder, his shoulders, they, they like fell, fell out. out. Yeah. yeah. Not long after Lauren and Rossman got to Rossman's apartment, Michael Beth, which is, again, his roommate, Rossman's roommate, was also in the apartment. Rossman was very intoxicated as well. He was stumbling and vomited up the stairwell. Ooh. Up the stairwell, Yeah. Beth said... I wonder if that was because of how intoxicated he was or, or from the, being hit if in he the really head. really did get hit, yeah. And, like, had literally, like, a concussion. Yeah, I know, at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Beth said that he brought Rossman to bed. He also tried to convince Lauren to sleep over because of how drunk she was. 
And he said that Lauren just said she wanted to go back to her apartment, kind of, like, be in her own bed type of thing. Mm-hmm. Which I get, but it's also, remember, like, 3 a.m. at this point. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the fact that this kid literally was the one that just walked her back. Right. And is that intoxicated? And he was the one, like, bringing her there, and then she's expected to walk back by herself as intoxicated as she is. I just just feel like that's just, like, a bad... And, like, why did she... Why did they go there, you know? If she was just gonna, like, leave. leave. Yeah, like, you're not going to further party when this person's getting put to bed. Right. I don't know. Then again, like, when you're annihilated, I guess you don't really think. Mm -hmm. Around 3.30 a.m., Beth called his neighbor, who was Jay Rosenbaum, to take care of Lauren... Michael Best said that Lauren was trying to get him to drink with her at her apartment. Lauren went to Rosenbaum's apartment at five North Town Homes. He said that she had a bruise under her eye at this point. Hmm. She told him she didn't know how she got the bruise, but they assumed that she had drunkenly fallen at some point, and Mm -hmm. that's kind of what happened. Which is, like, a possibility. Right. Two phone calls were made from Rosenbaum not long after, not long before Lauren was reported to have left his apartment. Rosenbaum said Lauren placed both calls, one to Roan and one to another friend. Neither answered and no messages were left, That's which I really wish they were. Odd. I know. And it's from his phone. So Either she was like, oh, I need to borrow your phone. I don't have mine, which is possible. Mm-hmm. But why is she randomly calling these two other people unless she was trying to see if they still wanted to party? I think that's uh, that's what I thought when I read it. Because she was trying to get him to drink and she still, like, you know, was still, like, up and not wanting to yeah. go to bed, it seemed like. But then another possibility is something already happened. And she was and trying a to phone get out. Call, or a phone call was being made from one of the other guys for them to come, like help with something. Right, that something at that point had already gone wrong with her. Yeah, and again, this is us speculating, but... But, I mean, she was annihilated, and this is their side of the story. She's not here to tell what happened at this apartment. You know, the phone calls were made from his phone because she didn't have hers, but was it really her on the phone? Yeah. Because nobody answered, and there was no voicemails. There's just so many questions. There's so many things that are known, but then so many questions, especially to the things that are just a person's perspective, not right. fact. Right. Yeah. And she can't tell the other side. Yeah. So then we're on to 4.30 a.m. Rosenbaum said that Lauren left his apartment around this time. It was the last reported sighting of Lauren. He said he saw her at the intersection of 11th Street and College Avenue, headed south on College, which is downtown Bloomington. So... I'm thinking maybe we should post a picture of, like, a map just so people can kind of visualize that. Mm -hmm. She was barefoot, wearing black leggings and a white shirt, which I also think is a little, I mean, not putting blame on anyone, but irresponsible of someone to, like, let her leave with With no no shoes. shoes. At least give her shoes. And you know the girl doesn't have a cell phone. Right. But... Like, I'm, like, not saying anything would have changed if they gave her shoes and a phone. Right. Or, like, made her, I mean, maybe if she was made to stay, but you, sometimes you really can't do that with people. Yeah. But I'm just saying that was kind of, like, irresponsible. Yeah, of them. Yeah. So, it would have been two and a half blocks to walk home. So, maybe then again, they're like, oh, two it's and a half blocks, far. barefoot, whatever. Yeah. But... I feel like at that point, though, you're, like, at least, like, okay, let me call one of her friends to make sure they can, like, meet her somewhere. Yeah. You Although know? it is 4.30 in the morning. True. Yeah. This is just a weird one. Mm-hmm. Hours later, Wolf, which was Lauren's boyfriend, sent her a text, and an employee from Kilroy Sports Bar replied to him. Remember, she left her phone at the bar. Right. And that was when Wolf reported Lauren missing. That had to have been a scary-ass moment yeah. for him. Yeah been like what the fuck yeah she doesn't even have her phone on her yeah so moving on to the investigation this took place in august 2011 police searched a nearby landfill for nine days called sycamore ridge landfill in pimento for clues about what happened to lauren the trash from bloomington is taken here so that's why they decided to search that 
yeah, area. That's a good thought. Yeah. They were really thinking ahead with that. Yeah. As of May 24th, 2013, police received 3,060 tips about Lauren's disappearance and 100 of them during the first half of 2013. Like what? I wonder what those tips are. And like, are they wild goose chases or like, do they actually mean anything? How do you get 3,000 tips? I want to know too where she was last seen on camera. Because, like, there's all this camera footage. But it doesn't say where and when. How did it just end? Yeah. Like, where did it end? Where was the last moment? Right. And was the picture of her walking in the black leggings and white shirt after she left the apartment to go back to her apartment? Or was there no footage of her after she was at the apartment? Do you know what I mean? Because there's so many... Yeah, there's, like, so many cameras, obviously, everywhere. And, like... Even if they lost sight of her on one camera, is there a building across the street who could have, like, caught a glimpse of her I mean, I'm sure they looked into everything, but, yeah, it's just weird. And she was seen going into her apartment, so clearly she never made it back to her apartment because... People saw her. They would have had footage of that. Mm -hmm. So, like, where was... Along the way. Yeah, like, at what point was that the last spot she was seen? Right. Like, let's say she was on block A, and by block B, there was no footage of her anymore. Like, between that point. Yeah. Stake that area out. Yeah. Just, I don't know. It's just very... Because there's CCTV involved, it's like... And she was walking around like crazy that night, so I feel like that's where all the tips came from. Like, oh, I saw her walk into this building, I saw her walk out of the bar. Yeah. Like, all those things. Yeah. So then we're on to April 2015. Police announced that they were investigating a person believed to be involved in Lauren's disappearance and the murder of another IU student named Hannah Wilson. Wilson went missing April 24th, 2015 after going to Kilroy's bar. Remember, Mm. this is where Lauren went the night she disappeared. That's sketchy as fuck. Yeah, it's like, is there a potential serial Killer who or goes like and scopes these trafficking girls out. person yeah. that sits at the bar and is like, okay, follow this person. Yeah, I mean, clearly, if two girls went missing from this bar, something might be happening. There. Right, like a pattern. Yeah. So Wilson was seen getting into a taxi in front of the bar and it driving away, and her body was found the next day in Brown County. They arrested a man named Daniel Messel for Wilson's murder after they found his cell phone near her body. Ooh. July 2015, police said that the two cases, Hannah Wilson and Lauren Spearer, are unrelated. So, I want to know how they came to that conclusion. Me too. Me too. Like what? Especially since there's a common link between them with the bar. Right. That just, I don't know. That doesn't really make any sense from to me and I'm just gonna add in here that my friend Eric was texting me about this and he's like have you ever heard of a person named Laura Roning Roning yeah and I said no who was that he said she worked at a camp um Cayuga which was right next to Camp Tawanda Mm -hmm. and apparently there was like a pathway connecting the two and they found that she was sexually assaulted and murdered on that pathway. Oh, my God. So, I feel like there's just something, like, in, like, I don't know. Maybe it's in relation to that. I don't know. Or just in general to the um, college. I, I don't wonder know. if the police ever looked into that connection. Right. Because she like, was there. potentially someone from one of the camps. He said that happened in the 90s. So, it was a little bit before her. But, like, was it a serial thing or... Yeah. Yeah. Weird. It's just weird in general that there's connections to other missing or murdered women right that she has links to right and again not accusing anybody but what if she didn't even make it out of the college town and something happened there right like with the people that she was with that night not mentioning any names right so january 28th 2016 fbi and police searched 2900 block of Old Morgantown Road in Martinsville, which was 20 miles or 32 kilometers north of Bloomington. 
This search was conducted based off leads and tips they received about Lauren. The property that they searched was connected to a man named Justin Waggers or Wagers. Don't know how to pronounce his last name, but... He lived there with his mom and stepdad, and he allegedly exposed himself to a lot of women in the area. Weird. Yeah, so... Again, I don't really care how I pronounce it. Right, exactly. (laughs) Investigators searched the area with cadaver dogs and had a hit with the dogs. They searched the area and sifted dirt from the barn where the dogs indicated potential evidence, but there was nothing found there. Hmm. Investigators also towed a white truck from this property that belonged to the Waggers. So, I don't know. They never said what was really in the truck or if anything came out of it, but I'm sure nothing did or they would have released something, you know? Yeah. So, obviously, from her disappearance, a lot of theories emerged about what happened to Lauren. Mm -hmm. Before we get into them, we just wanted to mention that Lauren's parents believe that she is dead and that she may have been drugged at the bar because she was so intoxicated. Mm, That is a thought. Yeah. The family is suspicious of the men that she was with that night, including Wolf, because they refused polygraphs and got lawyers after her disappearance, which I don't think that's suspicious. We, I mean, we've said in past episodes, I would never get a polygraph. Yeah. Guilty or not, If you're the last person to see somebody that went missing, I would probably get a lawyer as well. Yeah. To prove my case, so you're not, Yeah. I think that they have a right to be suspicious. Right, because they maybe, were the last pre- people right, that she saw. But maybe not solely on refusing a polygraph and lawyering up. Yeah, and I mean, there may have been other reasons. Yeah. I don't blame them, though, for, yeah. for being suspicious. Me either. So, theory number one was accidental overdose. Lauren's friends said that she used drugs as well as drank alcohol the night of her disappearance, and this is allegedly, uh-huh. who knows if she did, Rosenbaum mother alleged that Lauren was asked to leave the summer camp years prior due to drug use. Rosenbaum mom said, quote, this poor little girl is not with us today because of her drug abuse, which I think that's a bold fucking statement. And really fucked up to say. That's really rude. Do not yeah. assume that that's what happened to her. Yeah. And um, even if that is what happened, that means there's still a cover-up within the friends. Right. Then, and potentially her son. Right. So, that... That's just fucked up Yeah, to say. I cannot believe that came out of that woman's mouth. Yeah. Wow. On September 2nd, 2010, which was nine months before she disappeared, she was arrested on char- charges of public intoxication and illegal consumption. Which, okay, whatever, you're in college. Mm-hmm. Police found a small amount of cocaine in her room after her disappearance. Again, you're in college. Right. Rosenbaum told police that she drank alcohol, snorted cocaine, and crushed up Klonopin tablets that night. That's a little dangerous of a combination, I will say, but who knows if that's even true. She's not here to defend herself. Right, and I mean, again, even if that was the case, she didn't then hide her body somewhere. Right. She died in, and that's the way that she died, and somebody had to have found her and done something. Yeah. You know? And I I just think it's very sketchy that that mom's coming out and saying that, and then... Like, trying to shift blame. Her son is the one saying, oh, this is what she did that night. Right. Like, trying to... I don't know. Whatever. Very weird. So, Lauren had a heart condition called Long QT Syndrome, which added to the danger of the drug use that night. Just wanted to throw that in there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, overdose is a possible situation if, if she did drugs, you know. Mm-hmm. Private investigator Bo Deedle, which was Lauren's uh, family, hired him as the private investigator, said that an accidental overdose wouldn't be a motive to hide her body. Exactly. So, was she accidentally overdosed and then they woke up or, and saw this, and were like, oh my god, we have to hide her body? Like, what? That's not rational Who does that? thinking, no. Unless they were involved somehow. Yeah. Or, like, oh, fuck, we were doing drugs, too. We're but be that's blamed. still not a reason to hide no. someone's body. Then, oh, well, you get caught, you were all doing drugs that night. You didn't murder her, right. that was an accident, then. Right. I just don't get the motive behind if that, if that no. was the situation. It seems like there's something more sinister at play, even if that was the situation. Like, yeah. that's sketchy as fuck. It is. Yeah. I wonder what her boyfriend has to think about. 
you know, the people she was with and everything. Yeah, especially if he wasn't there that night. Right. So the second theory of what happened to Lauren was stranger abduction. Police said that they haven't ruled this out yet, but they don't believe she was abducted by a stranger. I wonder how they came to that conclusion. Right. Not that it's a full conclusion because they haven't ruled it out yet, but, like, they're saying they don't believe it was that. That's... Mm -hmm. Seems like there's something making them think that. Yeah. Yeah. And the third theory was Daniel Messel, which we talked about earlier. Remember, he is the man that was charged for the murder of Hannah um, because his phone was found near her body. Just a side note, Hannah was found bludgeoned to death in a field a day after she was reported missing. That's so So, sad. So, I know. I just, I don't know. I feel like they would have found um, Lauren if it was kind of connected potentially unless he uh changed his like mo from the the previous first time time, yeah. yeah in 2017 brown county investigators said they believe daniel messel could be connected to her disappearance Mm. so it's brought back up um that's weird how do you (laughs) how do you say no what what one came first them saying they don't believe she yeah. was abducted by a stranger or them saying he could be connected. Right. I feel like they were just kind of grasping at straws to try to figure out an answer. And they didn't close it, but, like, I don't know. Well, that's good that they didn't close Thank God. They didn't close anything because, I mean, clearly there's still a lot that needs to be answered. Right. So there are some civil lawsuits that are involved in Lauren's case. Lauren's parents filed civil suits against Rossman, Rosenbaum, and Beth for their involvement with Lauren leading up to her disappearance. They accused those men of negligence, saying that they gave Lauren more alcohol after she was clearly intoxicated, which led to her death. Lauren's mom, this is a quote from her, quote, I truly don't think it was a random abduction. I think that somebody that Lauren knew was responsible for the events of that evening. Yeah. They subpoenaed cell phones and academic records from 134 days before Lauren's disappearance. And in 2013, federal judge Tana Walton Pratt dismissed the civil suit against Beth after saying he had no duty to care for Lauren. I think out of everyone, he knew her the least and he was kind of just like there and he was so I can less involved to see that yeah. yeah in 2014 pratt dismissed the suit against the other two men saying quote there could be any number of theories as to what happened to lauren and what if any injuries she may have sustained without evidence to prove these theories it would be impossible for a jury to determine if whatever happened to spear was a natural and probable consequence of her intoxication without any other intervening acts that would break the casual chain that is a run-on fucking sentence Damn. <laughs> and that's the thing too like they don't have a body to determine her blood alcohol level and determine like you know what drugs were in her system yeah to say if that's even a theory of what happened. Right. If the boys really were involved, like, weren't involved at all. Right. Like, they literally could have, it could have played out exactly how they said, and Lauren was like, okay, I'm leaving, I'm going home, and right. went to walk home, and then someone abducted her. Mm-hmm. Which is Who possible. knows? Yeah. So, here's another quote. They've been interviewed and interviewed and interviewed, and to say they've been less than forthcoming is just not accurate. And that was said by Chapman, who represents Beth and Roan. Yeah, he was basically saying that, like, they've done everything, they've complied with all the investigation, like, just drop it. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, that's his job. Mm -hmm. So, some shows and podcasts that came from this case, an HLN show called Real Life Nightmares had an episode about Lauren called, quote, Night of No Return. That's really sad. Yeah. And there was multiple podcast episodes about her case, which I didn't even know until I read this. But apparently um, Crime Junkie covered it, True Crime Garage, Going West, True Crime, and then et cetera. There was a bunch. Yeah, I've heard it on Crime Junkie and True Crime Garage I didn't, before now. I don't listen to them very often, um, so I didn't even know that they had covered it until I read it, which was kind of crazy. Mm. 
So, any information on the disappearance of Lauren Spearer, and again, we will put this in our resources and all that because, you know, it's hard to listen to numbers over podcasts, but contact the Bloomington Police Department, um, and then we'll put the email and phone number, but the phone number is 812-339-4477. The Indiana University Police Department, you can make an anonymous report on their website, which we'll put in. And their phone number is 812-855-4111. You can also contact Bo Deedle and Associates, who, again, was the private investigator. Um, There's also a private investigator, Michael Saravola. And we'll put his email, but the phone number is 212-557-3334. You can also send an anonymous tip to find Lauren at P.O. Box 1226 in Bloomington, Indiana, postcode 47402. Yeah, so that's your call to action if you saw anything that night, heard anything. Thought it may have not been reported, not been important, so you didn't report it. Right. Think of a place where there may have been a camera that they potentially Missed. Didn't look into. Right. Yeah. Because clearly the CCTV is a huge part of this case. Right. And it was, I mean, the CCTV they had, the images that I saw were very, like, blurry. And, I mean, as all CCTV is, I feel like, the, those days. But, um, yeah, I just, I wish that there was more information on her. Yeah. I feel for her and her family. Just, like, I mean, we say this every case, but... The fact that she was out enjoying a night with friends and friends that she's known from camp and then went to college with. Like, clearly she knew these people. Right. And... And you may think, too, like, why would you ever walk home alone? And, like, I can think back to when I was in college and I was drunk and stupid enough and wanted to go home and nobody wanted to come with me. I literally walked home from the bar by myself. Yeah. And, like, yeah, it's creepy as hell, and you do it, and you're lucky that you get out of it without something happening. Right. But, like, you think of it now sober and in the right state of mind, and you're like, why would you ever do that? And 10 years older, and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, like, why the (gasps) fuck did I do that? Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that she was only two and a half blocks from her place. Like, that. an easy walk. Yeah. She's like, oh, like, she's probably thinking, like, oh, that's nothing. Right. Or just, like, not thinking clearly, like you said. Yeah. I mean, you're intoxicated, you're young. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there are a lot of sketchy things, which also could just be the mind speculating and being like, well, that's weird, and looking into something that really isn't anything. It's not weird, yeah. So there's potential that the people she was with were involved, but there's also potential that they completely weren't. And they literally just let her go, and then that was it. Yeah. You know? They let her walk home. Yeah. I don't know. I think the... This case is very strange, and I just wish there was more answers. Maybe we can bring her case to Laura. Yeah, and see what she thinks. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We'll add it to our Laura list. list for her. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, Laura's our medium. She's amazing. Yeah. All right, so we have a listener story for you guys this week. Yes. It is anonymous. Yes. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. <laughs> When I turned 16, my stepfather bought a Yamaha Grizzly 700. It's a utility quad. Almost weighs 700 pounds of plastic and steel. It was a monster on wheels. It was built for power and speed. When I heard its engine roar for the first time, it awakened something in me. (laughs) For as long as I could remember, I was in survival mode. Living from day to day, but hearing this roar, I felt alive for the first time in my life. I was hooked. I felt like I was chasing a high, a feeling so intoxicating, I couldn't get enough. I was allowed to ride on flat ground alone, but after a while, it wasn't enough. I craved more. Across the street from my house was our neighbor's house. They had acres of mountains. The freedom, the thrill, it called to me. (laughs) One day, my stepfather said that I was ready for more advanced riding. Our neighbor granted us permission to use the mountains on the back of the property, We started exploring it on the weekend. It always started the same. Fill the grizzly with gas, check the tires, and the most important rule, always wear a helmet. Yes, very important. Very important. (laughs) Safety first. Riding is a balancing act. You are on a thin type rope 
walk of control and your own mortality. One slip up, one fraction of a misjudgment, and it will teach you humility. You will always lose. I would sit on the back of the seat and my stepfather would drive till we got to the teaching grounds. Quote, unquote, teaching grounds. Oh, cool. (laughs) He would sit on a rock and watch me go through the area, going up some inclines, down a slope, and power over loose rocks. I could have stayed there forever. This is what it felt... This is what being alive felt like. When riding, I didn't have flashbacks. The sound of him stomping down the hallway, coming for me. The look in mom's eyes when he made me say goodbye to her. I was finally free. To get there, we would have to climb the mountain. Even with my helmet on, the roar of the engine sang to me, louder as he accelerated up the steep inclines. We would go across the mountain face in some spots and have to lean towards the mountain. One slip of grip, one miscalculated bump, we would be thrown off. Over the weeks, we have fallen into the routine. I unloaded the Grizzly and let the engine warm up in the driveway, placed the helmets on the metal rack on the back of the quad, and waited for my stepfather to do the quick check of the quad and tires. All good to go. I put my helmet and goggles on, put my gloves on, and gave him the double tap on his shoulder. He squeezed the throttle, and we started climbing the mountain. That's such, like, a nice thing to do with your stepfather. That is really nice. I love that. Fall was in full swing. The trees have lost most of their leaves, littering the trails. Deer bolted in front of us. With another squeeze of the throttle, we accelerated up the first large hill. The trees blurred as one as we picked up speed. I gripped the metal bars on the back of the quad, and we stood up in half seat, leaning forward. After clearing the first incline, we cut through the side, then came to the steepest incline of our trip. It felt like you were climbing your way to the heavens. Oh my god, I love that. Me too. Due to the previous storm, the earth was loose, usually compacted, now loose sand and parts going up. My father, my, I'm sorry, my stepfather hit the throttle and we roared up. I gripped the metal bars with all the strength I had and I leaned forward in the, in half seat. The trees blurred, then we hit sand. The quad fishtailed and veered to the right. I held on for dear life as the momentum tried throwing me off, trying to toss me into the blur of trees next to us. My stepfather fought for control, and he cut left, trying to break free of the sand. I felt cold sweat roll down my neck. We lost too much speed in the sand pit. The front tires started lifting up. We miscalculated. Now it was our time to pay. My stepfather hit the gas as hard as he could and aimed for the trees. It felt like the movies. All sounds stopped. It felt like time was crawling. I felt the quad lurching backwards. The mountain face felt ominous waiting for us to smash against it. The trees were getting closer as the quad was about to roll backwards. The silence broke. Jump! My stepfather screamed. All the sounds hit me at once. The engine sputtered as my stepfather let go, branches breaking as we cut through the brush. I jumped off a few moments before him. I landed hard on my side and bounced, bounced up face first. My stepfather came rolling down and landed on top of me, knocked the breath out of me. He bounced off and came to rest after hitting a tree. Jesus. I kept rolling down. I couldn't grab anything to stop. I had no control of my body. Felt like the hand of God kept picking me up and slamming me to the ground. I heard the quad barreling down after me. Oh my God. The sound of plastic and metal hitting the ground grew louder. It was getting closer. Each time I flipped face up, I saw the quad rolling towards me. That is terrifying. Shut the fuck up. I am so freaked out right now. I have such bad anxiety right now. (laughs) Handlebars rolling to the ground and the metal bars on the back rotating in the air. The grizzly hit a tree. Plastic by the back tire exploded. Blue shreds of mangled plastic fell off like confetti. The quad broke free and continued rolling down after me. I kept getting slammed into rocks and bouncing off of trees. I finally came to rest at the bottom. I couldn't breathe nor move. I heard the scream of metal and branches breaking. The grizzly's headlights came out of the brush. They looked like eyes. It ripped It ripped out of the brush and landed on top of me. <gasps> Imagine out of everything it lands on top of you. It could have gone anywhere. What the hell? Ugh. Oh my god. <laughs> it landed on its wheels. I couldn't move. My helmet trapped me under it not able to move my arms to undo my helmet. My stepfather ran down the hill and lifted the grizzly by the front, just enough for me to crawl out. The helmet was gouged and scratched up, but I was alive. Thank God she was having, she had a helmet on. Oh my God. 
I mean, even the thing not landing on her, like, hitting trees and stuff. The only wounds I had was minor bruising and a cut along my nose and cheek from the goggles, from my face being forced into the ground. I should have died that day. No one should have been able to survive that, let alone walk away. The accident never swayed me from riding. In fact, it just fanned the flame to keep going. I was not going to show fear to it. I made a point to ride every chance I got after that. What the fuck was that? What the fuck was that? It was in the room. Me! <laughs> Did you guys hear that? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I'm gonna keep going and then we'll look. Okay. Uh, I did, though, always have that lesson charred in the back of my mind. You are never too good when given the chance it will teach you humility. You will always lose. I could not describe how or why, but in my soul, I know that something or someone protected me that day. I never had proof till my late 20s. (gasps) We bought a used TTR 125 dirt bike. I rode it multiple times within the first two weeks we owned it. Never had any issues. Mom wanted to do a mini photo shoot of me going around the track at a new property we ride at. There were jumps, sharp turns, and flat stretches. Mom parked the battle worn grizzly at the bottom of a hill and did a a series of shots as I went over and down the hill. The bike stalled when I was going to go back up. Mom fired the grizzly up and went over the hill to the other side of the track. She wanted to take a shot, I'm sorry, she wanted a shot of me going over the jumps. I turned the bike around and downshifted with my left foot. I hit the ignition button. The bike roared. I never heard it sound like that before. I should have never let go of the brake. Alas, I was inexperienced. The throttle was stuck. I let go of the brake. Instantly, the bike bucked. The force of the bike rearing threw me off the bike, slammed my head into the ground. The way I fell, and at the time not owning riding boots, the foot peg got caught in my sneaker. (laughs) The bike riding on its back tire went off course and went into the thorn bushes. My helmet bounced off of rocks as the bike dragged me. Oh my god. I tried grabbing onto something but only got loose dirt. I tried sitting up to untie my shoe but was thrown back. Thankfully, once the bike went through the thorn bushes, it was knocked on its side. Still going, it was dragging me in circles. The heat of the bike was burning my leg. I started kicking the bike with my free leg. By the grace of God, I kicked myself free, lost my shoe, was tossed into a lovely pricker bush. (laughs) (laughs) When I got up, the bike was thrashing around on the ground, still going in circles. I was lucky and was able to rip the key out. Mom was oblivious to everything that just happened and was still parked by the jumps on the other side. Oh my God, she was probably freaking out. Yeah. Bloodied, pants torn, I put my shoe on and rode the bike over to my mom. How the fuck did she get on the bike right away? I don't know. Oh my god. She said she heard the bike but thought it was another bike from one of the other riders on that property. I did not pack it in for the day. I would not allow myself to be afraid. I did two laps of the property before loading the bike. You go, girl. Yeah. I ended up with a dislocated hip, knee, burns on my leg from the bike. Tire tread marks were burned into my leg from the rotating tire banged up my brand new helmet mom was looking over the oh my god there's pictures oh my god <gasps> i i see half of a picture Hold oh my on. God, oh my god, oh my god. mom was looking over the pictures she took a few hours after we got home oh i think i know this i think i i think okay hold on i'll tell you after because i think she showed me this picture okay and i have a story okay Mom was looking over the pictures she took a few hours after we got home. In shock, she brought me over to see them. The last three pictures she took had a bright blue orb. The exact spot where I was brought into the thorn bushes. If brought up the hill, I would have been hurt a lot worse. We have gone back to the property many times after and tried recreating the pictures. We never were able to get anything to appear. Someone or something was out there looking out for me. We feel honored that we were able to capture it in picture. To this day, I still ride. My children love it and ride with me on their own quads and bikes. Ever grateful for our secret protector. Thank you. Look at this picture. Oh my god. That's so weird. Oh my god, that's And we'll have to ask for permission to post these for everyone else to see. Since this was anonymous. I mean, you can't see who's in it, but... That's crazy. Um... I've seen one of these because I was asked by this person what I felt that was. Like, if I felt it kind of caused the accident or was 
protecting, protecting yeah. and it's definitely a protecting protection thing um i afterwards uh, um there was a guy that died on Where? the property <gasps> yeah and i like did i read a little bit into him and she validated a lot of things that oh my god i said about the guy that's crazy and i i was like i think that's i think it was him protecting her oh my god yeah that's crazy yeah <gasps> that was crazy thank, thank you, you so much <laughs> thank you for writing in we love riveting story that was riveting yeah we love these listener stories and we're so glad you're okay and yeah thank god that it that could have ended a lot worse yeah agreed but thank you for thank god for your protector you know and for you also thinking quick right quick on your feet while well, you weren't on your, on your feet, but <laughs> yeah, like in a situation like that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Anything else we want to add in at the end? Um, we do have shirts still available on our Instagram shop. Um, I'll still post a decent some, amount, right? I'll post. Yeah, I'll post links in our story. I'll put something up on our story just as a refresher, yeah. an easy click for people to get to. Yeah. We have a couple of the crystal ball mugs still. Mm-hmm. Um, we're working on some other things. Hopefully, we now that we have an embroidery company. Yeah. <laughs> we are so excited. We have a couple good things in mind for, yeah. especially for the holiday season. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's about it. I think that's it. Go to our Facebook, Crime Cults and Coffee, to check out the resources and photos from every episode. And our Instagram as well, Crime Cults and Coffee. Um, That has all of our merch and funny stories and memes and pictures. Go to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review. Yes. And thank you. You will get a a free sticker. You just have to let us know that you did it. Yeah, send us a (laughs) screenshot so we know it's you because some people put different names from their own. Yes. And also, if you want to write in a listener story, we are always up for that. I love them so much. I think it's (laughs) the most interesting thing ever. Yeah, you can send them to us at our email, which is located on our Instagram, and it's crimecultsandcoffeeandispelloutout at gmail.com. Yep. Or send us a DM. Yep. So that's it. Yeah. We'll talk to you next week, guys. Happy Thanksgiving! regarding this case and our resources follow us at crime cults and coffee on instagram and facebook